record-breaking performances and the Swifts slipping up ahead of finals. We're back to talk about everything Suncorp Supernatural related here on the Center Pass podcast. And welcome to the Centre Pass podcast brought to you by Netball Draft Central. My name is Jared Gardner and as always I'm joined by Taylor Mulkey and Sophie Taylor. And a massive week in Suncorp Super Netball. Only two rounds left in the regular season. And Taylor, the Fever, are making a big run at finals and uh, looking like real contenders for the 2020 Premiership. Yeah, they 100% are. And I think we've kind of seen that 2018 form this season so it's kind of scary for all the other teams to see just how much they can obliterate teams and do it so quickly is for me the really exciting and scary part because I don't think anyone can catch them at this rate. Yeah definitely and speaking of that finals race Sophie the Vixens have locked up the minor premiership for 2020 but the Swifts losing two games in a row and really slipping up going into finals. Yeah very exciting news for the Vixens although I'm hoping that finals curse doesn't hurt them like it's hurt other teams in the past. I mean, I don't think a single team that has won the minor premiership has gone on to win the flag. So that doesn't bode well for the Vixens, but who knows, maybe they can break the curse. But yeah, the the Swifts, obviously they they missed Maddie Turner earlier in the season. They were still getting uh, Maddie Proud back into like fighting form. And then now you've got Helen Housby missing a really important game um, where they really needed to solidify a win uh, during the weekend and couldn't do that. So there's little things there where the Swifts like have just had a little bit of a rough time, but they, they did last year too and were able to fight through it. So it's, it's really interesting for the Swifts this year and I, I think they'll come back fighting this week. Yeah, it should be an interesting one. As you said, only two rounds left in the 2020 season. So some massive matches coming up in the next week or so. Uh, we'll go through round 11 first of all and a couple of big results here. First up, it was the Swifts were defeated by the Vixens 62-55. to 55. Uh, The Fever got a massive win over the Lightning 72-52. to 52. The Giants getting the win over the Magpies 62-58. to 58. And the Thunderbirds going down to the Firebirds narrowly 59-61. to 61. Um, As we spoke about off the top, the Fever having a great run of form right now. And uh, not only are they doing it comfortably they do it comfortably over the side they're probably going to face come finals time um, it's a it's a scary proposition this fever side yeah the fever have been really really good for the second half of this season in particular they took a little bit of time to kind of warm up into that and then obviously they had some really phenomenal wins and I think the first phenomenal win was that against the lightning a few weeks back and then Obviously, losing Ingrid Collier, a lot of a lot of teams you'd kind of expect that to take a lot of the wind out of their sails, and it seems to have done what losing Maddie Proud did to the Swiss last year, and it's made them want to push even harder for that finals berth. Uh, they're really, really hard to stop when they're on song, and you look at that margin. That's a that's a huge margin in any SSN game, and then you think about how that's a Lightning who have been in finals. Uh, every single year of Suncorp Super Netball. Like that is insanity. They've barely changed. The fever have also barely changed in the last two years. So it's it's pretty crazy 
that huge margin. And then you've got the Firebirds getting another win on the board and they're virtually unstoppable at this point because they're just so... It, like you don't know what Firebird side to, you're expecting to come up against. And I think that's what makes them really unpredictable and really exciting to watch. I'll add on to that. So if just before, like when you touched on about Ingrid Collier, I think Emma Kosh has been a great addition. We didn't really clearly, we didn't really get to see too much of her when she was playing out in that um, wing attack or in that goal attack position. She'd come on, what, every couple of seconds or every couple of minutes or so. But I think she's really found her groove in that attacking line. And I think sometimes she's flying under the radar because teams are like, oh, she's only new. Like we, we don't have to put too much attention or give her too much attention. But she's really, uh, the, I'd say, kind of carving it up. And she's that link between the defense and um, attack often because she just finds so much space and allows Verity Charles to, to roam freely. So I think that's another thing that opposition teams need to kind of look at when they when they come up against the fever. They're not giving her enough credit and that's just allowing her to do whatever she wants. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that, that teams aren't necessarily giving her the credit that she deserves um, out in wing attack. And Obviously, you see that in some games more than others. I think the first half of the uh, Vixens game, she was given way too much space by uh, Kate Eddy. And then in the second half, she was shut down because they realised that she was that key cog. And so I think teams need to be taking that, like putting that pressure on in wing defence from the get-go and forcing her out of the game and not allowing that extra avenue into goal. But yeah, it's... The fever are just so hard to stop. And I don't really know what it is that's necessarily changed from last season because the midcourt stayed virtually the same. Obviously, Verity Charles has stepped up hugely this year, um, made a massive leap up from her 2019 form. But other than that, there's actually not that much that has changed. They still move the ball the same way. They still have the same defensive capabilities. They still have that tall timber in Janelle Fowler at the front. So... It's really, really interesting seeing how they've kind of jumped into this season. Didn't Maybe it's because they didn't have the expectations that they did last year. Yeah, really, really huge. I think it's the confidence. I think that's what has changed. I think that they're actually willing to pass the ball into Fowler and actually aren't hesitating to just throw it into her. You know that she's going to score. And you know that she can do it with great ease. And Jared, I have a sneaky suspicion you were about to bring up Alice Teague Neal. Am I right in suspecting that? Actually, no. But now that you've given me the opportunity, I'm happy <laughs> to talk about her. Um, I, I think you guys made a great point about Emma Kosh and, and what she's brought to the side um, when coming in for Ingrid Collier. And I think it's it's another one of those situations where it's a it's a young player that's got nothing to lose and has just been thrown into the deep end and. Um, has, has done a really good job. So I think Kosh has done a really good job. But as you said, uh, as, as I, I wanted to talk about, Alice Teague Neald um, has had an awesome season for the Fever. And I've said this time and time again throughout this 2020 season that her rise and, and her improvement in 2020 is one of the key reasons that I think the Fever have improved. And you can you can make that argument, and it's fair enough to say that, she's really just doing what, like she's just playing her role and she's just doing what she's been told to do by the coach. She's not doing anything outstanding. Um, but I think that's what the fever really lacked in 2019. And that was the reason they weren't able to have that, um, have any success. So 
I think it, it is a whole team effort, but I think Alistair Neal in that goal attack position is so crucial to the Fever and how they play that, um, yeah, it, it's it's great to see that they've, they've locked that down and, and it's um, giving them some great success. Um, just a couple of those other results, finally, before we move on to round 12. Uh, the Giants got the win over the Magpies. They still have slim finals chances, but they would need some results to go their way. Uh, to make finals, so it is looking unlikely at the moment. And then probably um, the one, the other one that's more important is the Swifts up against the Vixens. Um, I think the Vixens are, have swept the Swifts this season, won both uh, matches yeah. against them. So uh, a great result from the Vixens. And as we said off the top, they've they've locked down the the minor premiership for the twenty twenty season. And for the Swifts, it's it's just been they they look kind of all conquering going into twenty twenty, and they look like they they're they're all good chance to go back to back. But now, there's just something's a bit off, and it just doesn't look like they just don't look like the Swifts of old. I think people are going to hate me for this because it's going to be a bit contentious. But I always thought that last year was a was a surprise for me that the Swifts did as as well as they they did. And I, oh, full credit to them, I think the players that they brought in in Katrina Rore and I think Kayla Cullen played a couple of games here, there and everywhere. I think those players were really, un- or, or this season we kind of underestimated just how important those players were because Rore was that experience, that calming head and also that ball winner, game changer. She just completely changed that lineup. And while I'm not saying that the Swifts don't have it this year, they just look very flat and they don't have that same, I don't know, high calibre of, of, well, they don't have a Katrina Rore in their side. So you can tell that they're missing her sometimes. And you've seen that in that wing defence position in the fact that they can't settle on a midcourt. They really are struggling to get ball from defence into attack. And then you see that the constant changes in the goal circle, they aren't working. So then they change the midcourt and then that takes time for it all to gel. So they're missing those key links, even though their personnel all bar one player is is the same. What's interesting for me is it's like you said, they're missing that winner, that ball winner who changes the game. And you look at the team like the Lightning, even though they're not at the same caliber as they have been other years, Pretorius, she'll take a a few screamers in a row and she will turn that game. She will force the rest of the team to fall in line with the standard that she's setting. And the Swiss just seem to be missing that. Even Sarah Clough, she's still getting some pretty good stats, but she just doesn't seem as confident this year. And I think that was really made evident in this game. The Vixens... I mean, Lizzie Watson went down with an ankle injury early on in the game and came back on and still managed to star because that wing defense position, they had to rotate through a couple of options. I know Matt, uh, uh, Paige Hadley was in there a little bit um, and Sophie Craig, and I can't remember whether they rotated through anyone else. But regardless of that, they, they couldn't shut her down even when she was kind of managing a, a little bit of an ankle, an ankle injury. Um, and the Vixens just seem to be able to push through anything. Even though the Swiss, they kind of mounted a comeback and fairly certain the comeback in the last quarter. They came close. The Vixens kind of were still chipping away at the one-pointers. And then you look at the Swifts and they're like, yep, throwing caution to the wind. Let's go for the two-pointers. And you kind of look at that and the fact that the Vixens were able to confidently push through that, they I don't think they would have been able to do that last year. So even though the Swifts certainly were not at their best in this game. I don't think you can take that win away from the Vixens because the Vixens, you could argue, were also not at their best and they still managed to be fairly composed and 
get that ball down the court and continue like pushing it into the goalers and just be so consistent. So the Vixens have been really impressive this year. Still, I'm still never 100% sure that they're going to win a game though. And that stresses me out coming into finals because I'm watching it and it gets down to the last five minutes and I'm like, I don't know which Vixens outfit is going to finish this game. Is it going to be the team that allows the other team to shoot a whole load of goals and even up the margin or is it going to be the Vixens that steps up and does what they do typically I mean the Vixens premiership quarter tends to be the second quarter if anything they tend to fight back whatever deficit they had in the second uh, in the first quarter and then continue that through the rest of the game you just don't know which Vixens outfit will rock up for the last five minutes of the game yeah it, it stresses me out yeah, I think definitely there's going to be some some uh, worries going into finals for the Vixens with that, I guess, finals curse, as you said, Sophie, earlier on in the episode. But um, just back on the Swifts for a second, I think you, Taylor made a great point about, or you both made a great point about that wing defence position and, and wing defences. I think we've all grown up watching netball and, and playing netball and wing defence is a position that no one really wants to play, but we just see how important it is to a side and and to the Swifts in 2020 and how important it was in 2019. So something they really do need to work on um, come finals time because it's going to be really crucial to them having any success. Moving on to round 12 now and uh, some big results here. We'll go through them one by one. The first game of the round was the Fever up against the Swifts and it was the Fever getting the job done 80-71. to Now, Janelle Fowler has broken her own record for most goals scored in a game, 69 goals um, in this one. It's just a monstrous effort, and um, she just continues to amaze. I don't think there's enough words to describe how good Fowler is at the moment. There's just no one can stop her, and the fact I think we... Uh, we spoke about this just before. The past two games, she's scored over 120 goals. I think it was 124 or something along those lines. That's ridiculous. You're not going to lose games when your goal shooter is putting up stats like that. And I think as a team, they're actually she's riding on their confidence and they're riding on off her confidence. So it's kind of like you can just see that when she gets the ball, the team just feels relaxed. They're like, okay, our hard work is paid off and it's reset, let's go again. She's just, I cannot believe the season she is putting together. It's its really, really impressive. And credit where credit's due, okay, we've actually seen her diversify her game a bit this season. The fact she's taken a couple of super shots is something we would never have seen and she sunk them. Like, is there anything she can't do? She's just so consistent and you and so reliable as well. You always know that she will be getting that ball, that she will be getting whatever they piff towards her. And uh, the thing that really frustrates me about this one is her dominance was so strong. She was so good and all of that effort was taken away by the super shot and the Swifts. The Swifts scored 30 points. So 15 super shots scored, scored 30 points off super shots which is insane to me because the score without the super shot would have been, hang on, 75 to 56. And it ended up being a nine goal margin. Now there's some games where we look at the margin and we're like, oh, it would have been a similar margin either way because the teams end up shooting the same amount of super shots. But 
in a game like this, we saw it happen with the Vixens the other week and they were able to even up the margin and obviously get a draw against the Fever. The Swifts drew within three goals and then Alice Teague-Neal switched on for the last like two minutes of the game and shot a few goals. So it's, it's just really frustrating to see all that hard work that the winning team and that the team that has put in those that time early on in the game to set up a really, really strong margin. It's all been taken away by a few shots here and there. And obviously you, you do have to commend Sam Wallace and Sophie Garben for stepping up because uh, obviously there was no Helen Houseby in this game. That It's two goal shooters playing together. But, and, and what the thing about that too is both of them are not only goal shooters, but both of them are close range shooters. So the fact that between the two of them, they shot 15 super shots is absolute insanity like no no denying that I think that's awesome and I think I said on the weekend maybe it was just to Taylor that the fact that the super shot has allowed players to build their confidence shooting from range that's awesome no denying that I mean Sophie Garvin last year would never have shot even from mid-range let alone long range so that's really exciting and can be really really good for the future of the diamonds but you should not be able to take a huge, huge margin down to nine goals just from shooting two-point shots. Like, it's just, it, it actually infuriates me and I can't get my head around it and I'm going to be annoyed about it for the rest <laughs> of my life. Like, I, I uh. I'm just going to cut you off because this could go on for hours and hours. <laughs> I will bring, I will ask you both a question though. I was really interested to see the approach that the Swifts took on this in this game in the fact that that first quarter, 23 goals to 15, that's a huge thing. But you look at that starting lineup and I'm kind of interested in the decisions that Bryony Akel made. You've got someone like Lauren Moore, and yes, I know she is a goalkeeper, typically, but you have someone like Lauren Moore going up against an informed Janiel Fowler who in that quarter alone managed 20 goals straight. Would you not have started Sarah Clough in her traditional goalkeeper position, knowing that Lauren Moore could quite easily take Alice Teague-Neal in that sense that it would be more of an even matchup, I would have thought. And then they also, you look down the court and you see that Nat Haythorn-Thwaite gets a start in goal attack and you know that, for example, you know that she's not going to put up a wealth of shots. So therefore... Whoever's on her, I think it was Stacey Francis, is easily going to double back on either Garbin or I think Wallace came on for a little bit in that quarter as well. It's just really interesting to see the decisions that she made in structuring that game because I think from that starting point, they were on the back foot already. Thoughts? Yeah, I, I'll back you up on that one. And I'll, I'll back up with the stats from round two when these sides played against each other. Um, in that game, it was the Swifts who got the win, 73-72. to 72, And it was Sarah Clough who played on Janelle Fowler for the majority of the match. And the only time Lauren Moore did go back into goalkeeper was in the last quarter. And in that quarter, Janelle Fowler shot 14 of 16. So um, the, the stats are there to prove that Clough is probably the better matchup for, for Janelle Fowler. I know it's obviously going to be tough, whoever is up against her, but... Um, I do agree with that one that it probably should have been a, a bit of a switch in defence. Well, it's a seven goal. It, like they gave up a sev- seven goals in that quarter simply because Clow wasn't playing on Fowler. It's just, it's a really baffling decision 
considering we know how dominant she was, I think the week before Fowler had scored, what, 55 goals or 60 goals or whatever she's been doing. And it's kind of like, you've got your Australian, you've got an Australian Diamonds goalkeeper. Play in, play her in her normal position. Yeah. They just confused me. Yeah, the thing about this lineup as well is I'm pretty sure the Swiss Fever game last time around was the one, was that the one where Sophie Garbin came on and shot something like 20 goals in the quarter? Was that that game? Yeah, yeah. So, I'm pretty sure that third quarter. Yeah, so even though... See, taking that into consideration, I can see why they would put Garbin on to start, but oh, that I why, that I wasn't but, upset with. That I was happy with that. I thought that that was a good move. My question was more putting Nat Haythorn Swate on in that goal attack role because you're actually then inferring pressure onto the goal shooter because you know that Haythorn Swate is not going to put up that shot. But then you also think about how Haythorn Swate has the speed and the agility to actually be that almost confusing aspect in the goal circle, switch things around a little bit. I, I don't, I, that's not the part I'm so frustrated about. I, for me, as much as I like Sophie Garbin, I think she's more of an impact player than a starting player. And when you have Sam Wallace starting on the bench, I don't, I don't know if it's worth that. Like I said, I do like Sophie Garbin, but Wallace should have actually had that start. I think that she would have been a much better matchup, especially on Courtney Bruce to start the first quarter. Bruce is very physical. Garbin doesn't like that physicality. Neither does Wallace really, but she's more equipped to deal with it. She, she doesn't, she doesn't love the physicality, but she has the strong physique to match it and almost give it back. Whereas Garvin, I felt like didn't have that intensity in the first quarter. And yes, she was able to put a few goals up, but at the end of the day, I didn't think she quite had the same power that Wallace would have had starting the game. And that kind of put them on the back foot because then they could, had started Haythorn Thwaite out in goal attack and realized it wasn't working. But Garvin was already exhausted from working so hard on Courtney Bruce in the first being essentially pushed around not being shoved or anything terrible like that like we all know how Bruce plays but it's it's not that terrible in the scheme of things especially in the first quarter but yeah I just don't think Garvin should have started in goal shooter this is the hill I will die on <laughs> it it is almost like the Swifts were kind of trying to use the Fever's own game plan against them and have that one shooter and then that goal attack is kind of that second wing attack position i don't know it was um, a strange decision and and taylor you've made a good point by bringing it up because it probably was the downfall of the swifts and they just weren't able to get back into the game after the first quarter um just one last thing on janelle fowler we don't know we've spoken about it a lot but i'm just having a look through the stats now and um she shot 678 goals this season second best in the competition is Ramalda aiken with 490 so yeah. she shot almost 200 more goals than anyone else in the competition in 2020. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just mind-blowing what she's done for this Fever side over the last couple of years. Uh, moving on to the second game of round 12, and it was the Magpies up against the Vixens. And the Vixens got the job done relatively easily in the end, 61-53. to 53. Uh, The Magpies, I think, had a, a really good start to this game, and that kind of was... Um, helped by the Vixens and um, <laughs> no Liz Watson in the side. And they were kind of almost just throwing the ball away to the Magpies defenders, but um, they just weren't able to keep rolling and the Vixens just got the job done in the end. 
This game was so frustrating. Um, full credit to the Magpies for coming out flying and they've proved they can this season. They've done that a lot where they've won the first quarter and then kind of slowed down. But the Vixens conceding eight goals nil in the first quarter. What? <laughs> I was looking at the scoreboard going, what the hell is going on? And the Vixens are a team that rarely turns over their own centre pass. And if they do, it's it's because of a missed shot or something. It's not because they're losing the ball in transition to goal. And that's what they were doing. Obviously, again, like you said, Jared, they were missing Lizzie Watson. They had Taylor Honey get the start. And she, I think, got, really got in her own head um, and and kind of couldn't come back from that after the first quarter. I think she had something like eight turnovers for the game. But the Magpies were so good early. And I I keep bringing it up with these guys that Jeeva Mentor, her ability to anticipate play and anticipate where the feed or in this case, misfeed was going because Honey's ball kept going straight to Jeeva's hands. I Like it was... Oh, it was painful to watch that first quarter. And then it all turned out all right. But yeah, far out. I think Collingwood just kind of continued Collingwood's normal way. In the footy, we like to play one one good quarter. In the netball, it's the same. We like to play one good quarter. And we really surprise teams. We're like, wow, come out, all guns blazing. And then unfortunately, they kind of just slipped away. And you could just see that in this game, they were so up and about early. Everything was working exceptionally well. And then as soon as the pressure came, as soon as things started to kick into gear for the Vixens, Collingwood had no answers for them. There was no backup plans. There was no other structures they could go to. And things really just started to crumble. And yet again, I think... It's kind of hard, but the midcourt is still so young. And, and while they're working their guts out, sometimes the ball just gets lost in transition. And you really got to feel for Jeeva Mentor because she, the work she is doing down back is phenomenal. And it would be incredibly hard to consistently see, well, consistently win ball back and then see it get thrown away. I, it's just been a really frustrating year for Collingwood, I, I think, because... It's just nothing's falling their way. Even you, they started, like you said, Soph, an 8-0 lead. And then the rest of the game, it was kind of just like, well, we've, we, we started strong. And that's all we've got. Yeah, I think it's obviously been a tough year for the Magpies. And there was that glimmer of hope after that 8-0 run to start the game. So, um, yeah, it's just another disappointing performance. And just back on Jeeva Mentor, um, I don't want to spoil anything for our team of the week, but there was a, a long discussion of whether we should put her in or at least put her on the bench. But um, yeah, because she has had a phenomenal year and, and she's once again just stood up for the Magpies when she just faced a barrage of attacks from from oppositions um, all, all season. So disappointing season once again, and hopefully they can finish it up, finish it out on a high in these last two games. But um, we'll just have to see what 2021 does have in store for the Magpies. The third game of round 12 was the Lightning up against the Firebirds, and it was the Lightning who got the win 75-67. to 67. Uh, It was Carla, Pretorius, Carla Pretorius's 100th match, um, and she had another phenomenal performance for the Lightning. Yeah, in, I mean, the Lightning, it was kind of like the Vixens, actually. They had a very slow start and kind of had to work into it, and... 
Um, the Firebirds, to their credit, had a, actually a really, really good game and they've been in some really good form. But at the end of the day, they just weren't winning back enough ball to take away a win in this game. Um, and then you look at the Lightning and their connections. Although Laura Sherian didn't have a very good game, but Steph Wood stepped up and I think she's had a really, really, really great past few weeks, maybe the last three rounds or something. She's been really consistent, getting a lot of goals on the board. I think at the halfway point of the season, she was only shooting 50% of her shots and now she's actually lifted that that ratio a little bit. She's been really, really good. And I know we've spoken before about the connection between Steph Wood and Laura Langman. And as soon as Wood stepped on the court, they just switched on. Langman stepped up because Wood was on the court and their connection, they just, I don't know how they do it. They just zigzag around the court and they always know where the other is. They can always switch it up, find that easy feed into the circle um, so I was really, really impressed with Steph Wood in this game. Kara Conan with 41 goals at 100%. I mean, you cannot deny how good that was. And But then at the other end, I'm like, Firebirds were also really, really good in attack. That first quarter, they were so confident. And then slowly, it, it wasn't even like a huge turnaround where the Lightning were like, we've got the lead now. It was kind of like the third quarter, they switched on really extended that lead and then the Firebirds kind of came back in patches and then it kind of like moved up and down. It was a weird game. Lightning definitely deserved the win in the end though. (laughs) Sorry, that was a lot. (laughs) I'm I'm happy to take the reins about the Firebirds. I think it was a, I think that this game kind of showcased their potential, but also highlighted that they're not just there at the moment. In terms of they definitely are building towards a really strong uh, future. And if they can keep those foundational players in Jenna, Hinchliffe, Dwan, even uh, I don't, we didn't see Gemma Maimai that much, but I think she's clearly another key player for them. I think if they can continuously build on that, they, they, they've definitely got that potential to really push in the future. You saw that that first quarter. In the end, it was the Lightning's experience that was really paramount in this game. They just knew how to work the Firebirds over in overdrive. And, you know, you can't teach that to, to young players. They had so much class and experience. The one interesting move that I will bring up, and I think it's a little bit contentious, but it was the introduction of Macy Gardner. I thought Lara Dunkley was having a huge game. I think she just offers so much composure to that front end, which can be a little bit erratic at times, which is good, but also bad because then we can have errant passes and it's still very um there's still little parts that need to be addressed in terms of getting all of the connections in line but I don't understand why Rosalie Jenke took off Lara Dunkley I thought she was having a really strong game then they brought on Gemma Maimai she came on she had uh, I think probably what five minutes there thereabouts had a couple of turnovers wasn't great took her off and then put um, Gardner on and I just thought it kind of disjointed that front line and they really struggled to find that link again what were your thoughts on that move yeah I I, I definitely agree it was almost like because um, because they were definitely in the game and it was the second quarter like end of the second quarter and the third quarter where the changes were happening in that wing attack position and um, it, it just felt like it didn't need to be, nothing needed to be changed. I think it was kind of the consensus that Lara Dunkley was having a good game and 
um, the sop to Mai Mai, it's fair enough. Like Mai Mai's a established player and I think she does a great job, but then um, to then change it up again and bring Macy Gardner on, um, there's just no continuity. And yeah, I, I think it was a, a, an interesting move and, and one I definitely wouldn't have made myself. Yeah, well, the thing that frustrated me as well, looking at that change, obviously we don't typically pay a lot of attention on the centre pass to miss a net points. Um, but you look at Lara Dunkley, 22 minutes she only played. She had 26 Nissan net points and nine goal assists. And that was just from 22 minutes. Then you look at Macy Gardner. She played 30 minutes, had three Nissan net points by the end of the game and managed four goal assists in that time. And so you obviously look at Mahalia Cassidy. She ended up having a really good game. She uh, racked up the stats because she had to do all that feeding load. And that's because she didn't have that wing attack who was able to take some of the pressure off. And I feel like that was where the link stopped for the Firebirds. Defensively, they were quite strong. They weren't necessarily winning back the heap of ball that they needed to, but they were um, still... They, it, it was more that the Firebirds weren't winning off their own centre passes than the fact that the Lightning, that the lightning were starring down the Converting. goal. Converting. Yeah, yeah, do you get what I mean? And then you, you look at... Like Gabby Simpson, she didn't have a stat-stuffing performance, but uh, Laura Sherian had a really sloppy game because of Gabby Simpson's effort. So you look at that mid, like that defensive unit of Hinchliffe, Jenna, and Simpson. Even though the defensive unit did have to shuffle a little bit, they were so strong, and it didn't matter who was in the 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 goal circle at the end of the day because they were able to still defend that ball. But it was the it was the wing attack that missing link. They didn't have anyone to kind of step up in that role. We're used to Gretel Bueda being able to step up in the wing attack's absence and kind of be the ball mover. Tipper Dwan was a little bit tired in this game. She ended up missing a chunk of the last quarter with a shoulder niggle. I think it was when she went down with Mawaini fell on top of her in the third or something. Um, so she wasn't quite right for the last quarter. So obviously, again, there's... There's that mismatch. They needed to be shooting the super shots in the last quarter and she's the one to go to and she couldn't get her arm up properly. So there's things there where you can understand why the Firebirds weren't able to get a win on the board. But that wing attack position, I don't know why Gardner was in there. It, it, I mean, I'm going to have to go back to the Vixens game for this. The You look at the Vixens game, eight goals zip in the first quarter. As soon as the first timeout was called, Simone McInnes took Katie Ander Haney off the court because she was giving um, she was giving Shimona Nelson far too much space. So you understand that change because you're like, yep, make the change. If it doesn't work out, make make the swap again. That didn't happen here. Macy Gardner didn't have a very good game at all, and there was no change made once she was kind of in there. Once like, and people were even saying on social media, is Lara Dunkley injured or something? Why is she not on court? And it was so apparent that it that was what they were missing. Anyway, I've gone on a huge tangent again. I'm sorry. I'm feeling I'm very talkative today. <laughs> oh, have you missed us or something? <laughs> I have a lot of energy you need to get out. <laughs> no, it's fair enough. Um, I, I will move on now because we are um, running a bit long on time. Uh, it was a great win for the Lightning, but um, for the Firebirds, Ronald Aiken had a good game, 47-52, and 52, and there, there's some good signs, but just couldn't keep up with one of the top teams in the competition. The final game of round 12 was the Thunderbirds up against the Giants, and the Giants uh, got the win 64-54. to 54. Um, A pretty stock standard game. The, the 
kind of one main um, thing to come out of this was no Caitlin Bassett on the court for the Giants at any point. Um, I know they do get the win. They did it pretty comfortably in the end, but um, pretty strange to, to not see the Diamonds captain on the court at all. Yeah, you took the words literally right out of my mouth, Jared. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I'm getting really sick of not seeing her on the court, if I'm perfectly honest. I know that in the past we've been a bit critical and saying that, you know, sometimes she doesn't offer a lack of uh, versatility in the way she plays. But she is a star. She is a genuine star. And I do not understand the thought process behind continuously keeping her on the bench. Unless they want to release that she has some type of injury, like please let us know so everyone else can sleep easy at night. A lung injury based on the amount of time she's spent on the bike over the last few weeks. It's bizarre. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't understand it. And okay, yes, they got the win in this game. But she is the Australian Diamonds captain. Why is she continuously sitting on the bench? Give us a genuine reason, not, oh, we just think that this combination works well. That's a lie. Don't lie to us. <laughs> we know that these combinations work well. We've seen Caitlin Bassett on the court with Kira Austin. It works well. If you want to look at the future of Australian netball, let Austin work with Caitlin Bassett. I mean, you look at the start, this this will sound really harsh, but you look at the start of the game where Joe Harton had four of nine and she missed like the first three goals or something like that. Now, I'm clearly Harton worked herself into the game. Full credit to her. She's a class act and I'm not denying that. But I would like to see Bassett at least get the opportunity to get on court. That's it. I've said my piece. Um, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say I would just like answers as to where she actually, what what seems to be the issue because I just think she is way too good to be sitting on the bench week in, week out. Absolutely. The thing that frustrates me as well is that we've seen, I mean, I know I keep going on like a broken record, but the Swifts, Vixens and Lightning have proved that they're willing to shuffle around their goalers as they see fit. The Giants aren't in the top four. They can actually afford to shuffle things around. Why not switch things around? I understand, obviously, a team like Fever, they're not going to shuffle the bibs. It makes sense. They've got that stalwart um, player at the goalpost, not going to change anything. But then you look at how much of an impact she can have. And I mean, I I don't want to sound like a broken record because Taylor already is. <laughs> but it, it just doesn't make sense to me why Julie Fitzgerald is not willing to shuffle things around each game. Keep keep the defenders guessing on, on the court. I mean, the Lightning were able to get over at uh, Lightning, sorry. The Thunderbirds were able to to beat the Giants in the first and last quarter because they get quite predictable. The Giants, you know where they're going to shoot from. Obviously, both Austin and Harton can shoot from close or far range. But at the end of the day, there's there's certain motions. I mean, you see Joe Harton get the ball towards the edge of the circle. If it's in super shot time, you know for sure she's going to go for that super shot because of the way she puts up her hands, she shoots straight away. You can tell that. You can interpret how players are going to play their game. So the Giants have become this almost broken record where they keep doing the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. Obviously, it finally worked out because it's the first time they've gotten a win without Bassett on court. But I just find it really frustrating because Harton and Austin, like I said before, I really, really like them both individually. I like how they work together as a pairing. But if one of them is inaccurate, the other one feeds off it. 
Same thing as if one of them is accurate, the other one will feed off that and be accurate too. So as soon as one of them gets the yips, they kind of fall apart. And so, yeah, it's it's frustrating watching this team. Uh, still full credit to them for getting the win on the board. But at the end of the day, like when you've got someone like Caitlin Bassett on the bench, you should be a top four side and they're not at the moment. Yeah, it is a bit of a strange one and we'll just have to see how that does play out for the rest of this season and if there are any moves in the off-season to get a bit more playing time, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, that is it for round 12 of the Suncorp Super Netball season. Just before we do get into our team of the week, a few bits of news that have come through during the week. Um, the first one that's actually just come through as we've been recording, um, the, the I guess dates and times for the finals matches for this season. Um, so there's the semi-finals will be on the 3rd and 4th of October in the Sunshine Coast. And then, um, we'll get rid of those fixture crams and the prelim final will be a week later on the 11th of October. And then the grand final will be, uh, on Sunday, the 18th of October at Nissan Arena in Brisbane. Uh, so hopefully players can get a little bit of rest in between those finals. Um, like they haven't been able to so far this season. So, um, happy we, we're going to get an end to this season we're going to get this season out it's a credit to everyone um at the super netball competition to um to get this fixture done and to the players for all sacrificing to get, get up into the hub and um everyone who's had a part in this season going ahead uh second of all during the week it was announced another retirement nat medhurst um, announced her retirement from netball and we were hoping to see her go around one more time after missing this 2020 season. Um, but just a, a quick recap of her career. She debuted in 2004, um, has played 235 National League games, good for third most of all time, 4,415 National League goals. Um, she diamond number 144, played 86 games and scored 1,166 goals for the Diamonds. Three World Championship gold medals, uh, a Commonwealth Games gold medal and a silver medal was the most valuable player at the World Championships in 2011. Uh, it's an incredible resume and we're all going to miss seeing Nat Manhurst out on the court. Kind of forgot how much, yeah, or how many ac out. accolades she had. The like, you're there's still, there's like still a heat more. Like, like, I've, like, I've oh only read goodness. probably half of what she achieved. There's, there's oh. an incredible amount here. Yeah, I mean, her career spans for such a long time. I think the sport will be forever indebted to everything that she has done. She has been just such a formidable asset to Australian netball. And it's going to be sad not seeing her out on court. She was such a playmaker. And I was really hoping that next year she was going to be back in the black and white. So it's disappointing to, to see that she won't be there. But, you know, full credit to her. She's had an amazing career. Yeah, I'm really sad that we won't get to see her in the dress again because she doesn't get the send up send off that she deserves it's the same with Maddie uh Maddie Brown retiring after injury she didn't get to say goodbye the way and the fans didn't really get to say goodbye the way that the fans and um the netball world deserves to say goodbye to these these massive players so that's really sad and that's really like frustrating that she wasn't able to get up to the hub and play a few games this season but she has been an absolute jet in the game um there's no denying that she is one of the greatest goal attacks of all time in Australia. I think the only one you, you'd put ahead of her is maybe Sherelle McMahon. So you, you cannot, you can't go past Nat Medhurst when you're talking about Australian netball. She's an absolute diamond and 
Amazing. Yeah, I think she definitely won't be lost to the netball world. She's obviously got some pretty strong opinions and she shares them now. <laughs> now she can be pretty unfiltered in what she wants to share. That's um, what we want. <laughs> about about netball and Suncoff Super Netball. So I assume there's there will be a commentary position or something there for Nat Medhurst open and um, it'll be great to see what she has to offer um, post her playing career. Um, we will move on to our team of the week for rounds 11 and 12 now. And there's a few familiar faces in this one. I think I'll kick it off in defense. And we've gone with Courtney Bruce in goalkeeper and Carla Pretorius in goal defense. Uh, two absolute stars of the competition and uh, really shone in, in the last week. Obviously, Bruce leading the fever along with Janine Fowler up the other end to um, two massive wins and really setting themselves up for finals. And Carla Pretorius has had, I, I guess, a, a a quiet season. It's still been good, but just by Carla Pretoria's standards, it's been a bit quiet in 2020, but um, has really hit her straps and will be incredibly important to the Lightning come finals time. Uh, Taylor, I'll go to you for the midcourt. Beautiful. Okay, so we've got in wing defence, Gabby Simpson. I think it's hard to go past her. She's just been consistent. And I think we've said this the the past couple of weeks that it's not that she gets a stat stuffing performance as such. It's more the work she does off the the ball that is what earns her this position. In centre, we've got Sophie's favourite, Kate Maloney. (laughs) I think... (laughs) Oh, any Vixens, any Vixens player is is Sophie's favourite. So, True. yes, Maloney gets the nod in centre. Wing attack, we've gone with Nankavell. I know we're used to seeing her in wing defence, but she's played the past couple of games in either centre or wing attack and, and rotated through those positions, and she's done so very effectively. So it's no surprise she gets the nod. So you get the goalers again. Go for it. Love that for me. Okay, so in goal attack, I mean, we've already spoken about how good she was this week. Can't go past Steph Wood. Um, Like we said, she kind of had a slow start, kind of almost like Pretorius, where a really a little bit of a slow start, not what we've come to expect from these players, but in the last few weeks has really, really stepped up when the Lightning needed it. So 100% deserves that position this week. And then goal shooter, I mean, you cannot go past... Janelle Fowler. Like Taylor said about six times in this episode, she shot like 120-something goals over the last two rounds alone. Uh, Is absolutely killing it. Every single game, cannot deny that. Jared, do you want to do the bench? Yeah, I'll go through the bench. So Shamira Sterling had two great games for the Thunderbirds. Um, Two losses for the Thunderbirds. So it was kind of her and Jeeva Mentor were the ones we were kind of tossing up between, but Sterling um, had another great performance. Uh, Joe Weston, this one was all, basically all of Sophie's doing. She pushed for <laughs> Joe Weston to get on the bench. She was but really good. Two, yeah, she, she did play two really good games and um, has had a, a great season. Obviously, uh, that combination with Kate Eddy has been uh, crucial for the Vixens getting that or locking up that minor premiership this season. Uh, a couple of mid-quarters in Amy Parmenter and Mahalia Cassidy. Uh, we didn't speak about it when we were speaking about the Giants because we were preoccupied with other issues in that squad. But uh, the uh, Amy Parmenter moved into wing attack um, against the Thunderbirds, which was strange to see, but uh, did a good job in, in her combination with Jamie Lee Price and even uh, Kira Austin was was really good in that game. Uh, Mahalia Cassidy, as we said, had a, had a great game for the Firebirds and Ramalda Aiken is our last position. Um, 
probably would e- pretty easily make the team of the week, that starting position, if Janil Fowler just wasn't in the competition. But, um, yeah, just gets relegated to the bench, unfortunately. But um, she has had a stunning season after an injury-plagued 2019 season. Um, that is it for our team of the week, and that is all we have time for this week on the Center Pass podcast. Do go follow us at Pod on Twitter and do go to netball.draftcentral.com.au for all your world netball news and reviews, and we will speak to you next week.